Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of ActorCast, episode 31. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, if you haven't already done so, head to ActorCast.fm and sign up for our newsletter. When you sign up for our newsletter, you will receive the latest and greatest information on upcoming guests, showcases, and much more. So head to ActorCast.fm and sign up today. Speaking of today, we have an amazing guest joining us on the ActorCast today. Her name is Mimi Intagliata, and Mimi is the Director of Production Operations at Disney Theatrical Group. During her time at Disney, starting in 2013, she's worked on Beauty and the Beast at Shanghai Disneyland Resort, the Broadway production of Frozen the Musical, the national tour and theatrical film of Newsies, the new tour of The Lion King, and developmental productions of The Hunchback of Notre Dame and Shakespeare in Love. Mimi has spent over 30 years working in theatrical production, and prior to joining Disney, she was the director of production at Paper Mill Playhouse, which is a premier regional theater in Milburn, New Jersey. And for today's episode, Mimi and I really dive into the depths of what stage management and production management looks like behind the scenes. We talk about her career, how she got started in production work. We discuss the biggest challenges involved in her role as director of production operations at Disney, as well as some challenges that she's had in past roles. And we also discuss what it's like working for Disney, and why actors, writers, directors should know about the type of work that she does. If you like this episode, head to ActorCast.fm. Please let us know your thoughts. We would love to hear from you on what we can do to improve our episodes, but we would also love to hear what resonated with you in this episode. So without further ado, let me please introduce today's guest of ActorCast, Mimi Intagliata. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the ActorCast. Today, we have an amazing guest joining us. Her name is Mimi Intagliata. Mimi, thank you so much for joining us today. It's my pleasure, Patrick. Thank you for having me. Yes, I'm very excited to have you on the show today. We had the opportunity to connect. I believe it was on LinkedIn. And, uh, you know, we chatted, uh, I guess it was a couple months ago now, and it was so great to just hear about your career, hear about your trajectory, what you're doing at Disney as well now. And so, you know, just based on on your story, I I thought you'd be a great guest for this show to really help inspire a lot of our our listeners who tune in. We have a lot of people who are, are, are actors as well as other entertainment professionals working in the industry. So I'm so happy to, to have you here today. Thanks. It's really a pleasure. I, I have to tell you, I love talking about the industry. I love talking about all of the roles in the industry that a lot of people don't even know about. And... Um, and I also like discussing the fact that it can 
it can be a very circuitous route to get to where you land in the industry. And what you start out doing isn't necessarily what you end up doing. And that's not a bad thing. It can be great. Yes. Well, maybe we could start there. I'm curious if you could share with our listeners how, how you got into production work. So I was uh, a performer, you know, not a professional performer, but I was performing from the time I was a kid. I, you know, like when the Girl Scouts had a talent show, I was doing skits. Uh, I was always organizing skits at my, uh, at my elementary school. And then I did uh, musicals in high school. And uh, I did, I went to an all girls Catholic school, interestingly. And so we would have to go, we would have to get the guys from other schools to come and audition to be in, in our, our musicals because we didn't have guys. And then we could go and do musicals at the guys show, at the guys schools. So that was kind of fun because instead of doing only the four musicals in my, at my high school, I could go and do another musical during the year. So I did like eight musicals um, in high school. Uh, which was a lot of fun. I will drop a name. I will drop a name. I was mam. I was Mammy Yoakum <laughs> to a Tony winner, two-time Tony winner Norbert Leo Butz's Pappy Yoakum. Wow, in, that's amazing. In, yeah, in St. Louis, Missouri. Norbert and I knew each other, and uh, we did we did uh, Will Abner together at my high school. Uh, so I did. You know, I was always thought I was going to be a performer. I went to college to be an actor. I went to Indiana University in Bloomington, and I think you know probably in retrospect. I mean, I thought I was going to be a serious actor because I really wasn't much of a, a singer and I certainly wasn't a dancer. And so I thought I was just, I was going to, you know, be like a, like a, like, you know, I was going to do Shakespeare or something. You know, in retrospect, I, maybe I should have gone to a musical theater program and that might have been more suited for me. But I went to Indiana and they really didn't have a musical theater program at the time. They now have a terrific one. And uh, when I got there, it became evident pretty quickly that I was a not good at rejection so that tenacity you need as an actor where you audition for five shows and you get none or maybe one uh, I didn't have that thing and then also it became also evident that uh, my peers were more talented than I was I was not the most talented kid there even though you know in high school I was like like the really talented one right and then you get to college and then it's a whole new group of kids and you're like oh wait a second so it became fairly evident that I, that I was not probably in the same league as some of my peers. But the good news was that I was more organized than my peers. I was a little more together in that way. And so there was a student who was a little older than me, who was a stage manager, and he kind of plucked me out and said, you know, I think you'd make a really good stage manager. And I think you should work with me. I'm going to stage manage this show and, and you should stage manage the show with me. So he was awesome. And he kind of showed me the ropes. And at that time, it, you know, it, in colleges, I mean, this is, I'll, I'll date myself. This is in the eighties. Um, there really weren't a lot of stage management programs. Uh, there are more now, but there were like none back then. So you had to kind of figure it out yourself. So basically it just, it just consisted of experience and trial and error and me just stage managing a bunch of shows in college. And then eventually I stage managed for our summer stock theater. Uh, at that time in Indiana, we had a place called the Brown County Playhouse, doesn't exist anymore. But during the summers, we would do shows there. And so like, I was the resident stage manager my final summer in college before I, before I left. Uh, so it was all just a matter of experience. I then moved to Washington, DC. I had a sister there and she was an amateur actor and she helped me get a job at a children's theater company. It was actually a touring company and by touring, I mean it was me and four actors in a van with all of the sets and the props and the costumes in the back of the van, driving around to elementary schools in the Washington, D.C. area, starting wow. at like 5 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, and we'd like go into these schools and we'd take an hour and we'd set up and then we'd do like an hour-long show and then we'd break everything down, throw it in the back of the van and drive to the next school. And we'd do two to three shows a day, usually a couple schools a day. Um, and it was really, it was really hard. You know, getting lost, no GPS back then, folks. Maps. So you had to make one actor stay awake to help you, uh, help you navigate and the other three were usually asleep in the back. So I did that for a while and then... I got a job at the Harlequin Dinner Theater in Gaithersburg, Maryland. Um, excuse me, Rockville, Maryland, which also doesn't exist anymore. This is what happens when you're old. Um, <laughs> but it doesn't exist anymore, so I got a job there as the stage manager. And I was there for a little while and found out that the Harlequin was actually owned by uh, three guys who also had a touring company. That touring company is now called Troika. Um, back okay, then, I think yeah. it was called Music Theater Group or something. But uh, I got a job stage managing on their tours. And again, this is now, we're talking like, you know, early 90s. These tours were bus and truck tours, non-union bus and truck tours, one-nighters. You know, the crew and I sleeping on a, a rock and roll bus, you know, with a professional driver, uh, you know, travel overnight, arrive in a city in the morning, wake up, go in, load in. Cast is traveling on a seated coach during the day. They got hotel rooms at night. They traveled during the day on a seated coach. They would come in the late afternoon, early evening. You do sound check. You know, you go over everything for that night, notes, changes, do the show, and then most of the time you break the show down, you load it out, and you go to the next city. So literally one night, one-nighters, you know, no play. We played occasional split weeks, maybe a weekend here or there, but it was a very, very fast-moving. Uh, and it was like two trucks, you know, two tractor trailers full of stuff, um, which really nobody does much anymore. Most people can't aren't doing shows with only two trailers at this at this juncture but uh but back then it was pretty common so yeah that was that was what i like to call theater boot camp i mean really you know oh you yeah are, i'm sure you are out on the road and it is exhausting and it is day after day but it's great because it's it's pro it's problem solving right it's it's thinking outside the box because literally and i I'm, I'm really not joking about this or exaggerating literally one day we might be in like a high school and the next day be at the Fox Theater in Detroit. Like, I'm not kidding. That totally happened. Uh, I walked into a middle school one time where, you know, we had vinyl legs and borders dead hung at like eight feet. And that track lighting, everybody used to have the red, green, blue overhead <laughs> track lighting. <laughs> I mean, it was really, it was really a lot of problem solving. There were days, days when literally we could fit hardly any of the set into the, into the theater. And we had wow. to figure it out. You had to figure it out. So I did that, and I, I toured that way for, for quite some time. I, I did get the opportunity to go do some, some bigger, uh, a bigger tour in, um, in Europe. We did, Troika did a tour of My One and Only, and we sat down in like Berlin and Munich and, and Vienna for like five, six weeks. Wow. So that was and, really and, cool. And for all these tours, you were working as a stage manager? I was a stage manager, yeah. I was the PSM. And, and these were the kind of tours where it was like me. I was like by myself. There was wow. no assistant stage manager. And by the way, early on, no computers, doing everything by hand. So drawing, and you know, all the stage managers out there who toured like back in the day, they'll tell you, we like hand drew the signs to the dressing rooms. You know, we hand drew <laughs> the signs. Uh, you know, we might have laminated signs for like the actors, but like you were hand drawing the arrows and, you know, you were like handwriting the stage manager's report and and literally i think i think by the time i started touring i could fax it i think i faxed it to the office you know before that often you would put the stage manager's report in an envelope and mail it to the office so you know it was just very a very different world no cell phones not even beepers you know and wow. no computers 
So anyway, so yeah, I was stage manager and, and then I did some, you know, I did a tour in Europe and I, I got to go to, I got to go to Korea and I did, I was a production supervisor on a show there. We did 42nd Street in Korea, in Korean with mostly Korean actors. And then we brought an, a, 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 an American team over to work with them. So I, I bopped around a lot doing that. And then I landed eventually with Networks. Um, which was another touring company, and I ended up as the associate production manager there. I actually stage managed uh, their first tour. It, that was the non-union tour of Kiss of the Spider Woman, and then I became the associate production manager there, and I was there for a while. And then a lot of stuff happened. <laughs> I bopped around a little more. I tried my hand at, because um, we were. I was traveling still a lot. I'd been on the road for so long, and, and being the associate production manager for a touring company, I was spending months and months and months on the road yet again. And so I, you know, I said to my boss, who's a dear friend of mine still, I said, you know, it's just, it's too much time on the road. And by that time, I, my, my girlfriend, then my now wife, um, we'd been together for, for a while and, and she is not in the business, never has been. And, it, you know, I didn't want to be working always opposite hours, you know, if I was going to stage manage, like, you know, in a residential setting to work opposite hours or to be on the road all the time. And I said, I got to, I got to get off the road. So I kind of bopped around in television. I did a little stint in television and corporate events. And uh, and then I ended up at the Dodgers, the producers who did um, 42nd Street, You're in Town, a little show called Jersey Boys. <laughs> so I was there for a few years. Unfortunately, I missed Jersey Boys because uh, there, was a, there was a split between the Dodgers. Uh, Dodgers and Stage Entertainment had formed a partnership. And that partnership kind of dissolved at a point. And so we were all laid off. Um, so I didn't get to work on Jersey Boys. I did get to work on Dracula the Musical, though. So I know Whoa. everyone is very <laughs> jealous about that. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. But I worked on 42nd Street in Town. So when that partnership dissolved, uh, I, I then was laid off uh, along with many people. And I went to, uh, I actually ended up at a corporate events company. And I was only there for about a year. It was not a good fit for me. I did not enjoy my time there. And I got laid off from that job. So second job in a row that I got laid off from because the account I was handling, you know, went away. This is how it is working in corporate events. So I was handling a particular account and it went away. And uh, interestingly, I had seen a friend of mine not that long before who worked at Paper Mill Playhouse in New Jersey. And I said to her, hey, if Paper Mill's everybody ever looking for anybody, can you let me know? Because I was so miserable where I was. And she said, sure. And so it was a Wednesday night. I got a phone call from her saying, hey, they're looking for somebody. And I said, okay, well, you know, let me know what's the deal. And she sort of filled me in. And I said, okay, well, I'll send my resume at some point. And I said to my wife at the time, I said, you know, this is a regional theater. It's not going to be enough money. I was support. We had this, by this time, we had two kids living in Maplewood, New Jersey, in the suburbs. And I was the breadwinner. My wife was uh, working part-time, but mostly home with the kids. And I said, you know, this is not going to work out. Literally the next morning, the Thursday morning, I went into work and I got laid off. No, I'm wow. not joking. Wow. And oh so I called her back. I called her back and I said, I will be sending my resume today. I just got laid off. <laughs> so I sent my resume and about six weeks later, I was working as the associate production manager at Paper Mill Playhouse. Wow. And it was a good job. And actually it was a nice, you know, it, it worked financially. It worked out, fortunately. And then Paper Mill went through the massive, the whole huge... Um, some people might have heard about the financial crisis at Paper Mill where it nearly closed our doors. And so I was there for that. And we kind of brought Paper Mill, we pulled Paper Mill up a big hill and, and kept it open thanks to a lot of supporters. 
shortly after that, my boss left. So I became the production manager. And then they, you know, they gave me a new title, director of production, which is, is what they do uh, at a not-for-profit when they don't want to give you a raise. They give you a better title. So uh, I became director of production. I was there in total for seven years, six years as the head of the production department. And that was really the renaissance for Paper Mill. That was where things really changed. We started myself along with the uh, uh, producing artistic director, Mark Hobie, and, and many other people at the Paper Mill. Uh, we we turned paper mill around and we really started getting, you know, we got in um, commercial enhancements. We started working on, you know, kicking off tours. So we kicked off the 25th anniversary tour of Les Mis uh, uh. with networks. With networks, uh, we, we kicked off uh, the Little House on the Prairie tour. Uh, and then Disney was looking for somebody to do Newsies because they wanted Newsies to be, they wanted to put Newsies into the catalog. So Newsies had been ripped off, like at every summer camp and. <laughs> high school in the country but they wanted to create something that was quality they wanted to put something out there could that could be licensed that the people could do and that would be really good and so you know Harvey Firestein and Alan Menken had chatted and Harvey was really interested in in redoing in doing the music stage version and, and in writing the book for it so they had gotten so it was kind of all a perfect storm you know like they had gotten together and chatted about that and and meanwhile people had been in a survey, people were saying that was the title they most wanted Disney to um, create for the stage. And so it was like this perfect storm, and Cameron McIntosh had worked with us on Les Mis and recommended to Tom Schumacher, head of, of Disney, that they talk to Paper Mill because uh, Cameron had, I think, a, a positive experience with us. And so we started talking to, uh, to Disney, and uh, we were given the opportunity to, to premiere Newsies at Paper Mill, which was just huge that was huge for paper mill it was huge for me and it was awesome for disney because something they expected to just go into the catalog ended up resulting in a broadway show and a national tour so i got to know the folks at disney and about i'm going to say about a year and a half after we did news it was very funny actually because my wife kept saying you're going to get a job offer out of this i said i am not going to get a job offer disney (laughs) is not going to call me and about a year and a half later this is why my wife is smarter than me (laughs) <laughs> About a year and a half later, Disney called me. My boss, Ann Court, who, my, now my boss, called me and said, you know, wanted to meet for lunch, and, and she said, you know, would you ever consider leaving Paper Mill? And I was like, well, to come work on, on Broadway with Disney, yes. Even though I love Paper Mill, yes, I would consider that. So uh, that's what landed me at Disney. I know that was really a long story, Patrick. No, but again, no, it's I, great. You know, it's 30 years in the business, so this is what happens, you know, over 30 years in the business, and it's a long, winding road. But I just want to say, like, First of all, notice like how many t- twists and turns my career has taken. Yes. And you know what's gotten me to this place, and also the fact that after being laid off from two jobs, I you know I, I got two great jobs in a row. So people shouldn't be uh, discouraged. Uh, and right. also, you know, it's about it's about relationships. Yeah, it's it's fascinating just hearing your story because you really see how like one thing leads to the next, like. If, if yes. this didn't happen, then then what have the next thing happened? And it's very fascinating. And I, and I think that that's something that is very common, uh, especially in the entertainment industry, where there tends to be a lot of twists and turns that that happen throughout all of our careers. And I mean, especially you talking about, you know, this 30 year career, you, you definitely see that. And it's it's exciting to kind of hear about that journey and to kind of. Uh, have things come up that are unexpected, oftentimes in good ways, and, and sometimes sometimes it may 
feel in bad ways, but then it could lead to a, an opportunity down the road at the same time. So it, yeah, it's, it's fascinating hearing this story. And it's obvious too, that like all of these experiences really, really have prepared you for the, the job that you're doing today. I'm wondering if you could share with our listeners, just based off of all of this experience that you've had, what would you say are some of the biggest challenges that come with working as a uh, director of production operations? So, uh, gosh, what are the biggest, I mean, the biggest challenges, um, I mean, just to kind of talk a little bit, you know, what I do now is, is, is a little different than I've, what I've done before. So I've worked as a production manager and director of production is just a, that's just a, same thing as a production manager. And so, you know, in the regional setting at Paper Mill, like being a production manager for me anyway, and director of production, you know, I was responsible for all the budgets for all of the shows at Paper Mill. So um, I did all of the production budgets um, and had to figure out, you know, you have a, you have a set budget for the season at these not-for-profits and you have to keep a close eye on the budget and what you're spending you have to be tracking things very closely and you have to have that kind of presence of mind when you're building a budget in that setting to understand where you're going to kind of hide your money you know we i used to call it sock money so you know like i would know like i would add a little extra over here even though i would know like we're not really going to spend that much on catering but i'm going to add a little extra here or you know add a little extra in props so you know you would know how to move the money around and i so i think in a in a regional setting and i want to speak to that because so many people work in not-for-profit and regional theater in a regional setting i think it's it's usually the money right that's the challenge it's it's the money to figure out you know creative ways to problem solve and to work with your team you know Great example is, you know, I had Alexander Dodge, who's a tremendously talented scenic designer. He did Importance of Being Earnest for us at Paper Mill. And he just designed this amazingly gorgeous set. And when we got the, you know, we got the bids in, I was like, oh, wow, we're like way over. And so we talked to him. And I, in my non-designer capacity, said, I think we're going to have to give up. He had this incredibly detailed scenic treatment wallpaper that he wanted to do. And I said, I think that's going to have to go away. And I think it was actual fabric. I think it was actually fabric um, wallpaper. And I said, I think that's going to have to go away. We're going to have to go with a scenic treatment. He was like, no, 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 no. He was like, I don't want to lose that. That's not the thing I would choose. And so I said, okay, well, you tell me then. You tell me. You call, you know, he called the shop and he talked through with the shop and he came back and we, we solved the budgetary issue. And when we got into the theater and that scene came up, I said to him, oh my God, you were so right. That was not a thing to cut. So, so that's something just to tell you as a production manager, anyone who's trying to control a budget from the, the production or design side, you have to engage. You know, your, your artists are the ones who, your creators are the ones who really know, the, often know the best way to solve the problem. And giving them boundaries is really important and engaging them in the process. So I think in a, in a regional theater, that's usually the biggest challenge is, is the budget, right? Uh, in any non-profit, not-for-profit setting. I think the challenge at Disney, I have done so many different things, it's hard to identify just one. I mean, right now I would tell you the challenge, right now I would tell you the challenge is COVID, you know, but um, the challenge at Disney is, is, is different. The challenges are different. I mean, when we were, we were doing uh, Newsies, you know, there was the challenge of getting such a big and robust show to fit into a, a week-long touring model. So, you know, Newsies, um, 
Uh, it's not was not like a blockbuster like Lion King. So we had to tour it on a model where we would go week to week because, you know, most most venues weren't going to be able to sell tickets for more than about a week or two on a show like that. Because, you know, for touring, it's all just supply and demand. You know, how how long does the presenter want you to, to be there? How long do they think they can, how many tickets do they think they could sell? You know, so for Newsies, everybody wanted it, but it wasn't like Lion King going to play for like six weeks. That's just not the kind of show uh, that it was. So the challenge there was figuring out how do we get Newsies, you know, to be able to move on a week-long schedule. So you're going to load in. You know, on a Monday afternoon, you're going to continue your load in on Tuesday. You're going to open Tuesday night. You're going to close on Sunday night. You're going to load out Sunday night and get to the next city. So now you have to have a lot of things in place. So you have to have your booking group, your booking uh, department, which we have in-house at, at Disney and who are tremendous. Our domestic team is amazing. And they understood how they needed to book that tour so that the trucks could literally leave one city and get to the next city, uh, the first trucks that left, get to the next city in time to start the load-in on the other end. So that's a huge challenge. And we didn't have what's called an advance. So on larger shows, you'll often have an, a couple of advance. I mean, back in the day, you know, when Phantom of the Opera, for example, was first touring, I think they were in like 28 trucks, 30 trucks, something crazy wow. like that. Wow, oh my gosh. Yeah, and they would, they would actually come in like, a week or like I think it was even maybe two weeks but definitely a week before the show opened and I believe there was a time where they actually where the show would actually go dark for a week in between in between uh engagements I could be wrong on that but I think they actually did that but what they would do is they would come and do this huge advance package and then the show would close in the previous city you know then the, the rest of the stuff would come and have to get loaded in then you'd bring the cast in and they'd do a couple of like dress rehearsals and, and then they'd open. So there was it was a span of time. And, and at that time, Phantom was playing, like, months. I remember specifically, when I worked for Networks, um, I actually spent a little time working also for Pace Theatrical, which has changed names a bunch of times now and is now BAA. But at that time, Pace, I would go out and do what's called amortization settlements. And that's where you load the show in and then you kind of, you kind of agree on the, 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 the numbers, what the cost was. And then the presenter and the, and the producer work out, you know, who pays for what and all of that. So I did those and I went to, uh, it was Miss Saigon in Tampa Bay, actually. So, and that was another one, Phantom and Saigon, these huge, huge tours. Miss Saigon was playing Tampa Bay for three months. Three months, that's a really long time. I know Almost no show can do that now, not even Hamilton. It was just completely different then. So Newsies was part of this new kind of wave of touring where you're going to have these shows that aren't blockbusters and they're going to go and play a week at a time. And maybe a couple of weeks, but usually a week. So we had to make that show fit into that model. So, you know, I say you build a box. You build a box and you fit the show in it. And the box is one week stands with a loadout on Sunday night and an opening on Tuesday night. And so the touring team, the domestic team, did an amazing job booking that show so that we could play, you know, week after week without going dark and get from one place to another. And then the technical and design team were amazing in that... You know, our technical uh, director worked with our scenic des associate scenic designer to figure out those big towers on Newsies, which at Paper Mill and on Broadway were like erector set pieces. They were all these little pieces that had to be put together with a bunch of nuts and bolts and took like two and a half, three days to put together. They re-engineered those towers 
so that they could go up and like I'm gonna say I think we got it down to like five hours. I think um, the, the wow. crew eventually got it down to like five hours to put those towers up, and that was the only thing that made it possible to tour Newsies on that on that schedule. Wow. So those are the kinds of challenges I've had, you know, at Disney, you know, working on Beauty and the Beast in Sh- in Shanghai, um, and uh, working with the parks team there, and and working with a different culture not only in China but also a different culture at the parks the parks do things very differently than we do and and working through that and figuring out how to make a successful show while figuring out those logistics and those cultural shifts that we had to navigate um, putting up Beauty and the Beast uh, in Shanghai so those are the types of challenges I've had at Disney and and really it's just been a pleasure uh, to work on all of that kind of stuff yeah, it's it's really amazing hearing about it. I mean, and a lot of the stage managers and production managers I know, you're absolutely right. They're super organized. It really is a specific skill set that is needed. And it, it sounds like you just have had this incredible career of, you know, juggling a bunch of different things in these various roles. In working at Disney, would you say that the the role is very different because it's at a you know heightened level it's disney it's this large organization or would you say that it's uh similar to uh past production management roles that you've had i guess overall in a general sense what's it like working for disney i'm going to take that question in two parts so the first thing is my position at Disney is, is unique because, you know, Disney is very different than other Broadway producers, obviously. So I there's only two places I know of that have kind of the role that I have. And one is the Dodgers, where I used to be. And I don't know if they have that role anymore. I know uh, there was somebody, once they opened Jersey Boys, and Jersey Boys was a huge hit, they actually then reinstated that role. So I was the production manager in the general management department of Dodgers. And Dodgers actually is very similar in structure to to Disney. Interestingly, the Dodgers general managed Beauty and the Beast when Disney first came to Broadway. So there's a relationship. Yeah, there's a relationship between the Dodgers and and Disney. So um, when Disney came to Broadway with Beauty and the Beast and Tom Schumacher uh, wasn't there, you know, my boss wasn't there. It was a different set of people. They needed someone to help them get the show up on Broadway. And so they hired the Dodgers to general manage. And the Dodgers uh, general managed um, Beauty for, I think, the first couple of years. And Disney then kind of said, okay, we got it. You know, we got it now. We're going to move on. And then Tom came in and Tom was a theater person. And so Tom understood. And so he and Peter Schneider kind of built Disney theatrical. So the Dodgers and Disney are the only places that kind of have the role that I have. So it's unique. So I don't want anybody to get the feeling that like my role exists all over Broadway because it doesn't. I kind of sit weirdly between general management and technical direction. You know, it's it's different than than at Paper Mill. At Paper Mill, regional theaters, not-for-profits all have production managers who do pretty much what I did at Paper Mill. It's it's a very common it's a very common role. And so there's lots of positions out there for anybody who's interested in production managing in a not-for-profit regional setting. At Disney, yeah, it's been a weird at times kind of a position to be in because it's it's kind of morphed and changed as as the shows have changed and and as staffing has changed. Um, so I've done everything from you know working, like I said, very very closely on Newsies um, with the general manager and with my boss Anne. 
you know, at that time, Anne was like really working on getting Aladdin up. And so I, you know, I worked on, on getting Newsies, uh, uh, the Newsies tour up. Uh, so, you know, sometimes it's just a matter of kind of who's where and what's going on and who's covering what show. Uh, so it can really vary. I, so again, Newsies, you know, Beauty and the Beast. I've worked on some commercially enhanced productions. I've worked on Hunchback when we did it at La Jolla and, and then at Paper Mill. We went back to Paper Mill for Hunchback and Shakespeare in Love. Uh, so I've worked with a lot of my colleagues in lots of different ways. And then I also, I also work on, you know, kind of corporate stuff. Like, obviously we have to do robust bidding processes. We have to engage with sourcing and procurement. We have to engage with HR. So I now, in my role as Director of Production Operations, I also handle a lot of that. Because a lot of that is just very kind of corporate layer bureaucracy stuff that um, it's hard when you're really trying to get a show up uh, to work on. So uh, the general managers and my boss don't necessarily have time to wade through all of that. So I take some of that onus off of them by handling some of that corporate um, bureaucracy stuff that's important, but that can be a lot to deal with when you're trying to just create a new show. So I, it's been great. I mean, what I get to do, what I love is that I do something different almost every day. I mean, not the last year and a half. The last year and 15 <laughs> months, I've only been mostly doing COVID stuff. But, you know, I've gotten to do different things. And that's been, that's what I like. I like um, variety within structure. So I like to be in a place that's the same place, but I like to do different things in that place. And I've gotten, I've been very fortunate to be able to do that um, at Disney. Well, what's amazing hearing about your experience is that you really have a, or at least I would assume based on what you're saying, is you really have a deep, like cohesive understanding about everything that happens behind the scenes of a, of a live production. And I, I think you know, that that's something that I think a lot of people, whether like outside the industry or even within, it, it's really valuable for people to know. I, I'm curious based off of that and, and based off of just the, these various roles that you've had, why do you think it's important for, uh, I guess, like actors, writers, directors to have at least a foundational knowledge of the type of work you do? I will say that first of all I say to young people who come to me know your industry know your options that's the first piece of advice I always give them and that's because when I was coming up I didn't know that all this stuff is I like I was going to be an actor just because I I knew I wanted to be involved in theater and so when that kind of spark went off for me and I was young I was like in eighth grade or something and I kind of had that spark and I translated it to acting but what I realized later in life was that it wasn't about acting for me. It was just about the end. I just wanted to be involved. I just wanted to do it. And so I didn't know enough about all of the options that were available to me. The, all I knew was like, you know, I wanted to be an actor because I wanted to do theater. There were so many other things. And when I went to college, basically you were either an actor, a director, or a designer. Maybe you were a playwriting master's, you know, uh, candidate. But like that was it. You know, I didn't know about, you know, all of the positions you could have in a regional theater, all of the positions that existed on Broadway. So I think the first thing is, if you don't have a good foundational knowledge of your industry, you don't know what's available to you. That's the first thing. And the second thing is, it's so important to understand how an industry works. I mean, to know, to understand 
you know, as someone who is an actor, to understand, you know, the relationship between the producer and the presenter of a tour. It's your livelihood. You, you need to understand how is your salary kind of arrived at? Why are all these different, why are there all these different contracts and equity for touring? Why does that exist? And the more informed you are as a member of the industry, you know, the better you can advocate for yourself uh, and the better you understand the situation you're walking into. So I think it's hugely important. And I, I really, you know, I think that it's getting better um, at, at colleges and universities. I will say that when I was in, in, in college that, you know, we didn't have like a, classes about like the business. We just didn't have that. And I think it's getting better. Um, and if there are any universities out there who would like to start a class on the business of Broadway, give me a call. Um, <laughs> yes, but, uh, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, but I think, but I think it's just it's really important that you understand the process. I mean, if you think about somebody who works, you know, in a factory and all they do is they put the cap on the thing as it goes by. I mean, like God, that's soul killing. But if you know w- that you are part of a larger whole and you understand how you fit into that manufacturing. <laughs> scheme then i think it it makes you a better employee and it it makes you a happier person to understand that it's just not about the cap it's about everything going on around it and and to be valued for that from the other side also to say producers and general managers need to value people and value their contribution because if the cap doesn't go on the whole thing could fall apart so you know i think it's a mutual it's a mutual thing that's important to to foster Yes, yes. I love that so much. I think that's something that has really influenced me in, in my career thus far is is understanding that no matter what part you're playing, whether it is a technical director or a sound designer or an actor or director, everyone is playing their role in a greater mission, which is to, to put up a production. And I would absolutely agree with you. It's like having that holistic view on things. Uh, really, I, I, I find that it makes the work so much more fulfilling. If it's like about the, the collective effort, this opportunity to collaborate together uh, and, and create something great. I, I think that there's like a little bit of, uh, you know, theater magic in that, so to speak. Oh, yeah. I mean, what I love about what I love about theater is you cannot do it on your own. You can't. I mean, even Bruce Springsteen, who is an incredibly powerful person and pretty talented, he can't do that show by himself. He can't. He needs a lot of people. So I, I say to young people, and I mean, you know, like high school and, and, and elementary school kids, I say, you know, a painter can paint a picture. Somebody, somebody might buy it, somebody might not buy it. But basically they can do whatever they want with that picture. Maybe it'll be good, maybe it'll be bad. But they can do it all on their own. You can't do theater on your own. You have to have a team. And that's what I like. I like working on a team. I like doing my thing, going away, doing my stuff, and then coming back to the team and saying, okay, here's what I did. Now, what did you, what did all of you do? And let's get together and let's make it happen. That's, that's my jam. That's what I love. Yeah. Um, and that's what I find so attractive about theater and the industry. And that's why I think it's just so important to make sure that everybody needs to feel valued, you know? I mean, we need to expect a lot from each other, but everyone needs to feel valued. Uh, and we need to give people an opportunity. You know, back when I was first starting out, it was it was not the industry it is now. It was a smaller industry, and people were much more kind of closed, and they didn't, there wasn't as much 
help and assistance being given. And it was kind of like, hey, kid, you know, I made it on my own. You can make it on your own. I'm not going to help you kind of thing. <laughs> and, you know, that was kind of, that's crap. You know, it's like, yeah. it's like, what do you mean? You didn't make it on your own. You had help. You had people. And so I really try to reach my hand out. And when people ask to talk to me, I, I talk to them. And I try to help people who want to get into the business, um, you know, and give them advice when I can. And I think that's super important right now because I think I'm going to take a departure here. I hope it's okay, Patrick. But I, oh, I yeah. think that it's important to, as we try to do this diversity work in the industry, which continues to be incredibly white and uh, lacking in diversity, particularly backstage and offstage is what I like to say. Um, so I think that there have been strides made on stage. And I think Disney's actually been at the, at the forefront of that if you look at our shows. But I think backstage and offstage, we all still have a lot of work to do. And in a weird way, I look at my career and I think of how I've gotten my jobs and it's because I know somebody, right? And I always say that like in this industry, we're always like, we need somebody at the last minute. We're like, oh my God, we need somebody yesterday. And so we turn to our left and we say, who do you know? And the problem is that I'm white and the person I turn to my left <laughs> to speak to is white. And yeah. There's, you know, it's that, it kind of, I, that's that, you know, I don't want to say incestuous, that's kind of not a great word, but do you know what I mean? It's that kind of, we all know each other and it's a small industry, which is true, but we have to break out of that and we have to open it up and bring other people in and we have to make it a more diverse workplace because it's, it's, it, it's only going to get better. It's only going to get better. And uh, so I'm trying to to help with some of that in the ways that I can. Right, right. Well, Mimi, th this has been wonderful. I, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to join us on the ActorCast today and, and for not only taking the time, but I really appreciate the work that you do as well. You could tell how you speak about your work. It's something that you really enjoy, something that you're passionate about, something that you've worked hard at for, for many years now. And I think it's been great to have this conversation to learn more about the roles that you've had and how instrumental they are in putting up a production as well. So, so thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. I can't tell you how thrilled I was to join you, Patrick. Thank you so much for letting me spend this time with you. Absolutely. For our listeners tuning in, I'm wondering if you could just share with us where they could find out more information about you and your work. Um, well, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, and then, you know, if you want to know what Disney's doing, it's not hard to find. Just Google Disney on Broadway and you'll find it and you'll see what's coming up, what, we've, what we're working on. But uh, yeah, if you want to find out more about me, um, you can def definitely look me up on, on LinkedIn. Perfect. Great. Well, I'll make sure to include the links to those in our show notes. So listeners out there, all you have to do is scroll down in the show notes and click those various resources provided. So Mimi, thank you so much again. I cannot thank you enough for, for joining us on the ActCast today. Thanks, Patrick. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of ActorCast. You can head to actorcast.fm and leave us a review to let us know what you thought of this episode. If you haven't already done so, sign up for our newsletter to get the latest and greatest information on upcoming guests, showcases, and much more. 
You can also become a member of ActorCast by going to ActorCast.fm and clicking the membership tab. As a member of ActorCast, you'll gain access to exclusive content, including bonus episodes, access to our private online community, and live sessions with yours truly. I look forward to catching you all in the next episode, and you know what time it is. It's time to go out and create.